five, scores! Rick Five. We've decided to get ourselves back in the game again with our podcast. Rick Five. Probably the craziest story that you're ever going to hear about hockey. We're going to be coming back to you on a regular basis. You are listening to Squid and the Ultimate Leafs fan. Hello, Canada and hockey fans of the United States and Newfoundland. And an extra big hello to Canadian servicemen overseas. Welcome, everyone, to episode 105 of the Squid and Ultimate Leaf Fan Show. I'm Mike Wilson, the Ultimate Leafs Fan. Joining me, as always, my winger, Ricky Squid Vibe. Squid, how are we keeping? Uh, not too bad, Michael. Uh, you know, just uh, enjoying this lovely cold weather. Well, actually, it's a little bit warmer today. It's not bad. The sun's out. So, can't complain. Well... Our guest today is back for a second time. He was so good the first time we had him back the second time. And, you know, just to review a little bit, drafted by Buffalo Sabres in 1992, enjoyed a 15-year pro career, became one of the all-time agitators in the NHL and loved every minute of it, as you'll soon hear, uh, as the spokesman for the popular gaming site Bet99, has written a very funny book titled Unfiltered. Please welcome back Matthew Barnaby. Barney, thanks for joining us again. How's it going? Good. Uh, technical issues on, on my end. Uh, sorry about that, boys. It's uh, I'm 50 years old. You'd think I'd know how to uh, either get into a studio by now or turn up the mic. But uh, thanks for having me on again. So how's the book hey, career going? When you get older, you forget those things, Barney. Well, I'll, script, yeah. I'll go through that with Squirrel every day for crying out loud. Hey, so you, usually I have my wife set everything up. I, I, I Full disclosure, usually she... Puts the earphones on, checks the mic, everything, and I just talk. And that's what I like to do. I like to talk, but uh, anything technical is definitely not up my alley. Well, no, that, that goes double me. for both of us. That's why we have Jack and Glenn Dreyfus to help us out because we have big, big issues, Barney. So how's the book tour going? It's it's great. Uh, a little, a little sidelined. I heard Rick talking on the open about the weather getting cold, and sometimes uh, weather plays into that, obviously – us living in, in Canada. I was in Orlando uh, with my son for a couple of weeks, got stuck there for five extra days trying to get to Buffalo for the launch uh, through a hurricane. It wasn't anything bad at all, but it was high winds and some rain. So I was delayed getting there. Supposed to be in Toronto last weekend, uh, but the snowfall uh, carried through from Buffalo. I think everyone's seen the, the news the last yeah. uh, week and everything that went, saw, went on in, in Buffalo uh, with about six feet of snow coming down. That came down to the 401 a little bit with Belleville and Kingston, and I didn't want to chance it, so we'll reschedule that. But uh, for the events that I have done in Buffalo, it was absolutely awesome. I uh, love seeing the fans, love seeing people finally getting through the book and enjoying the stories as much as I, I saw write them or as much as I enjoyed writing them. So it's, uh, it's, it's, been, a, it's been a rough start in the fact that uh, weather's played part of it, uh, but in the end, uh, we're off and running and uh, and having fun with it. Now, are you coming well, to Toronto? How, how, how ironic is that, Barney, that you and I, my book came out about two months before the pandemic, so oh. I didn't get to go anywhere, and you got snow problems. <laughs> well, hey, hey at, least, at least in the pandemic, people couldn't go out. That's a great way to increase sales. You're, you're probably to blame. You're probably to blame for bringing it over from China. You're like, I got a book out. I need a pandemic to keep everyone indoors with nothing to do. 
So, so we're going to sell it. And uh, yeah, the plan is to come back to Toronto. We're working on uh, a few different things. Going to do a podcast at Bottom Line. Going to do a signing there. And trying to make it, you know, when you go to one place, uh, economically, it just makes sense to do four or five uh, different signings in different venues, whether it's an OHL rank, uh, certain different things along the way, watch parties. So definitely come to Toronto, just finalizing some dates as we speak. Well, uh, one of the things I want to ask you is uh, when you're doing some of your signings, what are what are some of now? It's early, but so this question should probably, should probably be asked of you in a couple months. But what are some of the strangest or some of the funniest things fans have said to you so far in meeting you and signing the book? Yeah, I, I think it's just reminiscing, you know, with 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 Rick. And anytime he does an event, I'm sure it's the big games that he have or or players that you enjoyed playing with, times, biggest games, your favorite memories. They always go back to those. And those are certainly in, in the book. You know, everyone, you know, brings back the fact, you know, hat trick on Mother's Day. I had one hat trick. It's not a, it's not like they say, hey, uh, remember the hat trick? And I had to <laughs> I had to go through the mental Rolodex and say, oh, which one of the 10? There was one. So it's pretty teed up for me on that side. They'll ask about Garsnow fighting a goalie. Uh, and then it's literally, you know, about stories within the book now. And, and people were able to get it on Amazon. So they're able to, you know, ask about certain things. I, I shit my pants on the road in Chicago one night, uh, a night out with Dennis Rodman. I can't remember if we talked about it the first time I was on. People no. ask about that. Yeah. Uh, you know, Rob Ray kissing a transvestite uh, a couple <laughs> nights earlier in Chicago. So, yeah, that th th those are the stories. And, and just other stories just along the way. It's stuff that they're going to read that doesn't come up in everyday conversation yeah. in mainstream media. It's more the, the funny side of, of things rather than the mainstream side of it, like we do in podcasts. Yeah. Well, at the beginning of the book, Barney, uh, just to start things off, uh, you talk about your father who left when you were obviously very, very young. Your brother, 14 years older than you, you never reached out to find out who your father was or anything. Was your brother? Did your brother kind of take over that father role for you? A a absolutely. And you know, the question always comes up, or I pose it. I haven't thought about it. And listen, we all have psychologists when, when we play in the NHL to help you when you go through streaks or things that help it along the way. And I, I've sat down with with especially the one in New York, and, and they asked me the question. I just said, you know what? Why didn't you ever reach out? And I was like, I never missed it. You know, I, I had a loving grandmother, I had a loving mother, I had a, a, a great brother that was, you know, a lot of, a lot of years older than me and, and really took that role, um, like you asked, Squid. And I think that's really important. Is it better to have, uh, or is it better not to know your dad or, you know, to know your dad and have a shitty dad? Well, I never knew my dad, so I never missed it. I'd rather never have known my dad and never have missed it, really that have a, a dad that was shitty or, or beat me. So that's, mm -hmm. you know, I, I, I find myself, you know, when I look back at my childhood, I didn't miss anything. I had a loving family that gave me a chance. And, and my brother really did take on that, that, that father uh, role. Well, and plus the fact you immersed yourself in sports so much that you just, you, you were not distracted by anything else except playing sports. Yeah. And I, I was having a, a beer the other day just at the local watering hole watching uh, watching the Leafs game. And someone was asking me, you know, like you played hockey and then you played soccer. Uh, I played hockey, soccer, baseball all year round. I played hockey all year round and and absolutely loved it, played played baseball and soccer. But I would go from one to the other. You know, it's probably why I never tried drugs, never never got into parties, uh, either was working out or, or playing one of the different sports. 
so I never really got into trouble because there was never, never time when I came home, man, it was time to hit the hay and get ready to, to do it all over again the next day. Yeah. I did want to those, ask those you were the, Those were the good old days though, weren't they Barney? Where you got up and you <laughs> went to the ballpark, then you went to the soccer field and then, and then in the wintertime you're playing hockey every day. And it, it, I mean, it, it was just the life of a kid playing sports is just unbelievable. Really? Yeah, you learn so many lessons, and, and what I should have yeah. learned is I shouldn't have stopped playing baseball and soccer and football. And when I when I turned forty, man, that's where I got into my trouble. I should have just kept on playing youth sports. I should have been like the that that, that movie. How old is he? He is twelve. I would have been the the forty five year old playing with the twelve year olds on the ball diamond. That might have led me a that might have been a little creepier than the, than the trouble I got into though. Um, a couple here for you, Barney. Like, first off, the idea of the book, I mean, it almost sounds stupid to be asking this with anybody listening to our first podcast, the stories you have. I mean, you're natural to write a book and just the way you tell a story. But you also lined up with a friend of mine, an outstanding writer by the name of Kevin Shea. And I I interviewed him on the radio last week. I hosted on a show and I said to him, you know, I got to ask you, honestly, Matthew Barnaby, like you being the, the... you know, bleeding blue Maple Leaf fan that you are, and what he did to our team over all the years, I would have suspected you would have been the last guy chosen to write that book. But he told a really nice story about you and saying that, Mike, I honestly did think that. He said, but when you asked him to come to the road hockey to conquer cancer as a participant, he just said to me, he said, the way you just sort of, he was so impressed with the way you're so selfless in your act of giving back, and making sure everybody had a great time, he did a complete 180 on you. Yeah, he he really was. I, I didn't know Kevin very well, you know, being from Buffalo. I didn't read a lot of the Buffalo stuff. And this is the 20th book he's wrote. And anyone that would know us, we are the complete <laughs> opposite human beings in, in this world. I am truly unfiltered. And he is, he's, I, I don't want to say guarded. That's not the right word. But he's, he's prim and proper. He, he's a very good just respectful man, uh, very well written, uh, just chooses words very carefully, but he's a great guy. And that's what I learned. And when I, when I set out to do this, that's, that's, I was taking my words. I wanted someone to be able to put that on paper and having met him and then got to know him. Um, it didn't matter if he was a Leafs fan, a Sabres fan, a Philadelphia Flyer fan, as long as he was able to portray my words onto a piece of paper. Um, I wanted someone that I was able and felt comfortable with and was able to do that. There might've been some uncomfortable times that we've actually never discussed that part of it because yeah. some of the, the verbiage in there is locker room. Yeah. And, you know, that's not Kevin's demeanor in any which way. It is mine, but I was very steadfast on making sure that was the verbiage that was in there and stuff that I said to people on the ice, that was the exact same verbiage that had to be in there or it wasn't going to portray what I did on, on a daily basis. Is that me on a regular basis in my everyday life? Is that my language that I use? No. But there, there's there's words that we use and, and actions that we use when we play in the National Hockey League to gain an advantage or, or an edge over our opponents and uh, making a long-winded answer uh, to finish it off. Kevin was the perfect guy, and he really took everything I said, and I reread everything after it went to, to paper. And if we had any questions or I had any doubts, we would go through that whole chapter again. So it was a, a gratifying experience, and I couldn't have chosen a better guy to do it with. Amen. Yeah, that's a that's a pretty important thing. I think that you 
Like I had Scotty Morrison, who I'd known for like 25, 30 years. And I think that's very important that the person that's writing your book understands you and yep. understands what you want to get out there. And uh, he was fantastic at writing my book as well. And he made the process a whole lot easier for me. I was writing one fucking book, boys. <laughs> one book, <laughs> never again. It's a long process. Yes. Well, all three of us have all done it. Now, here's, I got questions. I'm going to put you both in the panel right now. <coughs> I ask you both these questions. First off, starting with you, Barney, the biggest challenge to get started, and then I'll hear from you, Squid. Wow. Um, or, organizing your thoughts. Organizing yeah. chronologically how you want, well, how you want the book to portray yourself and then organizing your thoughts. There's to, to, to me, the most important was when I sat down to write it, there's so many stories you tell and there's so many that you forget. So what I did was write every team down and I went through the cities. Yeah. I went through every team, Anaheim and then, and Buffalo and, and Boston and then Carolina. I tried to remember every story that made sense. You don't fit them all in, but I wanted to go and not make sure I didn't forget anything so organizing those thoughts first of all you have to decide how you want to be portrayed and I, I i wanted to be honest you know listen i've done a lot of i think really cool things and and a lot of things i'm proud of there's some things that i'm, I'm not so proud of but i i think if you're truly going to do a, an autobiography and a story about yourself you really you you really have to be honest and there's there's some things that are, that i don't want to say they embarrass me because the, the hardest thing in the whole thing was em embarrassing my kids on some of the things that 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 happened without. But uh, organizing your thoughts, um, 75,000 words is a lot of words. And you need to dig deep and you need to be honest to yourself. So for a guy that only has his grade 11 and a half, uh, 75,000 words is a lot of words. <laughs> Squid, you? Yeah, I think I'd have, to, I'd have to say that that was probably the toughest thing uh, uh, well, first of all, remembering a lot of the things that happened and also dealing with my family, with my brothers and my sister, because, you know, the, the first part of the book is not really flattering to what was going on in my household when I was a kid. And they so they read the first chapter and they go, well, this is not very good for doesn't say good things about mom and dad. I said, yes, it does. I said, but. That was the way they lived and that was the way they were. They invited everybody into the house, no matter who they were. So, you know, getting through that was probably the toughest thing for me. And how about you, Barney? Like the same thing. Did you have to do talk it over with your family? Because let's face it, it's one thing to tell funny locker room stories and, you know, stories in the bar and, and all that. But when you have to peel back the layers to be completely honest with your audience because they're too sophisticated you got to tell some stories you just suggested and maybe you're not so proud of. Yeah, I, I did not. The only, the only person that was with me every day was, was my wife here. And I, you know, I'd have a notebook and, and sometimes we do like conversations once a week. I saved me and Kevin would get on and discuss the next chapter. But then on my own, I would also go back and write a chapter that was important to me. So, you know, when we were talking about childhood, a lot of those, I just wrote notes and I want to do a thing because I have notes on all different kinds of papers that are just kind of pieced together and I go back through them. But she was the only one that I, I'd have her read the sheets as we were going through. And then if I was like, this is a chapter I really want that I did, I'd send it off to Kevin. And he, when I say really go through it with a, a fine tooth comb, he, he had a lot of, uh, 
lot of work to do in, in, in recreating the grammar and the spelling, I'm sure. But uh, no, I didn't check with my family. I'd say the only, when, when I wrote a kind of the tribute and, and said thank you to my brother, to my mother, my, my, my kids, my ex-wife I uh, put in there, um, I did let my kids see it because it's probably, you know, when I, when I look back, um, I don't want to say it's a legacy because it's, it's, it's a book, but you know, it's, it's something I wanted what I said about them for them to know how I was feeling about them in the good, in the bad, in the aftermath uh, of everything. So I'd say the only, besides my wife, the only, the only two page thing was, was uh, a chapter or a page that I call the bear and the princess. The bear is my son. That's his nickname. And the princess is my daughter. They got to see that, but that's, that's it. Well, I was going to say that, you know, on a smaller scale, I've written a book. I'm barely cocky. Here's my shameless self plug. And all the money is going to charity, by the way, that we raised for it. But I made a very conscious decision to make it as raw and real as possible. Otherwise, it wouldn't be believable. Same as you talked about the way you spoke and the verbiage you use. And you have to be honest. So I did have my wife go through certain chapters to make sure it wasn't too over the line. Yeah. And I had the editor do the same thing. And have him say, and Glenn was going through and say, did this cross the line at any time? And is because I have to make it believable, but I, but I don't want to be too outrageous. Yeah. And, and when, when, when I look at that and listen, if you're an analyst on TV and certain things you do, or just in general, you, pe people can see through that shit. Yes. Like people, mm -hmm. people can see through people that are fake. And, you know, I wanted to tell the stories. I also wanted to be fair. And I wasn't going to, the, the book isn't about tearing apart marriages. The book isn't about um, people doing something that might get them in trouble with the law. Like that's not, that's not what the book's about. Now, a guy like Dominic Hasek, who I didn't have a great relationship. Do I talk uh, in, in, in vain with some of the things? Yeah. Uh, it's not anything that's going to cause him any dismay or any trouble down the road, but you know, he probably wouldn't be happy to, to read some of it. But it's, it's, it's the truth. And I wanted to be uh, completely transparent. I wanted to be completely honest to the fans that, you know, exactly what I said 20 years ago, I was going to be the exact same. So, you know, you know, Rob, Rob making out with a girl that was a guy. Listen, it could have happened to me. Mimi was hot. She was, she was really hot. We had a few beers. Uh, it could have happened to any one of us. Could some of the stories, you know, some of the guys laugh at and, and some of the guys like, why did you tell that one? It's not going to cause anyone any trouble at home. And that was something that was equally, equally as important. So it's almost like Law & Order. I'm a big Law & Order fan at the start of Law & Order. For people that are listening, it starts off. Some of the places and people may have changed, but these stories are real. <laughs> By the well, way, the I recall, I recall, Lola. Uh, you know, I recall that happening to one of my teammates too, Barney. I can't remember who it was or where it was, but I do remember the guy's getting all over the whoever it was because that that happened to him as well. But uh, which for us was pretty funny, really. I mean, when you think about it, it it's something that you're going to talk about as a team for for weeks and months and years. You know, yeah. I, I, <laughs> so. Hey, boys, it's like beer league stories. You know, the hangovers come and go, but the stories last forever. Yeah, yeah. I I, I have I have received several texts along the way going is this story in there is this story in there do i do i have to buy all 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 the books in thunder bay ontario so my wife doesn't get a copy <laughs> now 
the, the forward was written by two legendary players and they insisted on being a part of it. When Kevin spoke to them, Mark Messi and Eric Lindros, how did that sit with you when you found that out? It, it, it was, it was, it's a pretty humbling moment, right? Like I grew up watching Mark Messier play in those eighties teams with, with Gretz and all the great players. And then I was a kid watching these, these guys play and then enamored with 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 what they did having the chance to play with mark for three years in new york be his line mate for for a couple of those and eric lindros there's no man that i hated more than him and probably no man he hated more in the nhl when i first came in the league and went against philly every night and then became my roommate so you know to have them uh be a part of something so special to me being the icons they are and hall of famers uh it's, it's pretty special and when you look at both those forwards, it's not, you know, very nice things were said, but it wasn't bullshit. They're saying, oh, my God, he was the best player or this and that. You know, Mark alludes to some of the troubles um, that I was and tried to be the best teammate and person that I was. So uh, in the end, it was just very humbling that two two great players and two great people um, were, were, were kind enough, uh, gracious enough to put their name uh, on a book because when they put – their name associated with something. It, it means something. It's great. Yeah, no, I, I would have to say that, that having two guys like that, I mean, you know, and, and they know you, they played against you, played with yeah. you. Uh, they know what's going to be in the book, but yet they said, Hey, that's, that's Matthew. You yeah. know, and we love him and we're going to, we're just going to put our names on. And I, I think that's great. I mean, and, and that's one thing about writing a book. I think you did the right thing by not excluding anything. You know, like, I mean, people need to know about your whole journey, not bits and parts of it that are all good. Yeah. You need to know about the, you know, some of the shitty things, some of the uh, not so good things. And, and that is what makes the book, I think. Well, for Barney, I'm sure you got to sit back and think it made all those beatings you took worthwhile when you hear two guys like that praise you like that. <laughs> I don't know if I would have felt that, though. Well, let's, let's get, leading into that, I, I do want to say in your opening, I want to get into the book now a little bit. So in your opening statement, you end with, and I quote, people say they're willing to do anything, but are they really? I think mm -hmm. that defines you to a T. I mean, did you arrive at that? crossroad and how uh, like how when you roved at that crossroad how big an influence was your brother and your surroundings and driving you to be like that yeah i i mean i want to be a hockey player more than anything that's really all i've ever had interest in being um i never really had a backup plan i would have figured it out i would have done something i would have went you know to, I would, if i didn't make it i would have went to university i would have been an entrepreneur i would have figured out something because i or, or WWE all, or something like that, Barney? <laughs> yeah, maybe. Maybe in the lightweight <laughs> category. But, you know, I, I didn't grow up with money, and I wanted to have money. I, I, not, like, I, wanted, I didn't live in the hood, and I had a, a great upbringing. But we didn't have extras. You know, the, the only mm -hmm. vacation I ever had was, was a hockey tournament. It was great. I, I, didn't, I never went to Florida until I played the Florida Panthers. I was like, oh, this is fucking cool. It's warm here. I should live here when I'm older. This is really cool. But I, I remember that that junior training camp, and I was the last overall pick. And you know, I go in. I'm I'm confident. I'm I'm a talented player as a kid. We're all you're all really good as a kid. When you and you get to that next level, you're like, oh my god, okay. There's a lot of other really good players, and 
Now I'm 17, they're 18, 19, 20. They're physically more mature. They're, they're a little faster, a little stronger. Maybe I'm a little better player, but they have the size thing going on. And after a couple of days, I just remember my mom and brother saying, hey, we're excited. We're coming to Quebec City to see you. I was like, I, I they could sense the discouragement in my voice that I don't know if I'm going to make it. Like you might be wasting your time coming on up. And my brother just said, you, you got to stand out. And, and those words really rang home and, and struck a, a bell with me in, in the fact that, okay, I, what can I do to stand out? I can't, Squid was able to score three goals. I wasn't able to do that. You know, it came later on in my junior, mm -hmm. but I wasn't able to go out and I was going to like, wow, be a wow factor that way. And I, I don't know what happened. Just something hit me and said, start being an agitator, start pissing people off and start fighting. I was like, who's the, who's the biggest fucking guy here? And they're like, that guy, he's 20. I'm like, oh man. All right, let's go. And I just proceeded to fight him as many times as I could. And I had fortunately, everyone needs someone to believe in them. I don't care what realm, if it's sports, if it's podcasts, if it's, if, if, if it's an everyday job, you need someone to believe in you to give you a chance. I had someone that appreciated what I was doing and that was my coach, Alan Shaney. So without him, Maybe I make it, maybe I don't, uh, but certainly he gave me an opportunity to be bigger than something that I was. So I, I got to ask you about your interview with the Sabres before your draft. I <laughs> thought that was probably one of the best lines I've ever heard. When John Muckler says, we're five minutes into the game and Bob Probert asks you to go, what are you going to do? Well, I would have already asked him three minutes into the game. <laughs> I thought that was like unbelievable. Like how the hell did you come up with that? Or was it just in your head? It, no, just quick witted. Like it was a question that you go in interviews, you're going to get asked questions about how you are. And I knew I was undersized. I went into the draft at 160 pounds. I had 476 minutes and penalties that year. So, you know, I'm fighting a lot of the tough guys. So I know one of the questions has to be, you know, about fighting bigger guys like you're, you're going to the nhl it's like going from midget to junior and and having you know having to fight and now you're going to the next level i'm, I'm going to be asked about will i play the same role at the next level because a lot of guys get drafted and they they don't do it you know because it's harder the guys are bigger stronger again um more mature and, and just just they're they're men and they're doing it for a living now and it just came out it was just it was just quick and, and larry carrier was the guy that followed me around and really you know, scouted me and drafted me that whole year. And it, to me, his line. So when he asked me that question, it was just like, well, I'm not going to wait for Bob Probert because my whole junior career for the last two years, at the start of the year, I'm the one asking everyone to fight. No one thinks that 148 pounds and 160 pounds. So I'm the one asking. So when he asked the question, it was just like automatic. Well, I, I'm already going to ask Proby to fight, man. Like, I'm, I'm not going to be nervous. And then Larry Carrier looked at him in the funniest line. He goes, I told you this kid's a fucking different bird, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Barney, along those lines, in a Hockey Night in Canada feature in 1998, you know where I'm going with this, yeah. called you the most unpopular player in the NHL. Now, for a lot of players, that could be a death sentence for a career. But for you, and I don't want to put words in your mouth here, but I think you, knowing a little we do of you, that – you used that as almost an inspiration to drive you knowing you were doing your job. 
Listen, the Sabres, I had an autograph signing at the Amherst rink in Rochester, and I had an autograph signing scheduled for the Sabres, and they called it off last minute. And everyone says, oh, my God, you must be so, like, heartbroken, whatever. I'm like, you can't buy that kind of fucking PR. PR like, the book's called Unfiltered, and they won't host it. Like, you can't, you can't buy PR like that at the World Cup. The same thing goes for, for Don Cherry and his quotes there. He called me the most hated man in the NHL. I wanted to be known as the most hated man in the NHL. That was That's what I aspired every time I got onto the ice. If I was in Toronto or I was in Philadelphia and the fans aren't giving me the finger and throwing beer on me and, and calling me a motherfucker, well, I'm uh, obviously not doing my job. Not, so I better turn it up. Yeah. So that, when, when he said that, it was almost like, this is awesome. Like <laughs> I loved Don Cherry growing up. Listen, every time I was trying any, any it was more alluding to the fact that I was turtling and, and drawing people into penalties. And, and I did that. I listen, I, I watched the guys in, in the world cup flail all over the place and trying to draw a penalty. I, I, I did that in the NHL. And if we got it, you know, I'd suck guys into penalties and whatever it may be, and we'd score on the power play, hopefully. Our McGillney would go out, Lafontaine would go out, Lindros would go out, Sack of whoever it may be. The difference is what yeah, I was willing to fight, too. I led the NHL in, in fights two years, and it wasn't like I was never willing to fight like a Sean Avery or, or guys that just wouldn't do it. They'd just be rats. I was a rat, but I was also willing to fight, and I think that's the part that I, yeah. I wanted out there uh, in the final, I, I had no problem being a rat, but, uh, Don Cherry, I love you. You're, you're an icon here as well. There's, you know, I grew up watching the guy. Uh, it was, it was, it was more funny to me, uh, than anything. And Hey, anytime you can get on hockey night in Canada, I'll take it. Yeah. Uh, I would imagine now you, you were pretty undersized, uh, you know, especially going into junior and during your junior career, like when you started getting to the point in the National Hockey League where you were actually winning fights and and so on, how big were you then? Like, what what did you get to? Well, when you started saying I was undersized, I was like, oh, fuck. You talked to my teammates in the shower or my wife. Thank God you went back to the fighting part of it. <laughs> hey, I, I, I can talk about being undersized off the ice. That wasn't in the book, the undersized uh, in the shower. Uh, okay, but, that's not that's not what I meant, but okay. no, that was a good I, one, though. <laughs> just, just clarifying, I, I I grew really late. So in Bantam and, and Midget, I was like five foot two, one hundred and twelve pounds. Like I was super small. So when I was in junior, I was one forty eight, then one sixty. My first couple of years in the NHL, I went from like one sixty five to one seventy eight, and I'd say I played ninety not eighty five percent of my career at about 188 pounds, which still isn't that big, 188 no. to 192. And I remember Doug McKinney, our, our, our fitness trainer, after like the second year, he's like, we got to bulk you up. The guys you're fighting are 230, 240. You're, you're just giving up way too much strength and, and, and weight. So I got up to like 206, creatine. I had a neck like, like Brock Lesnar. I was Hulk Hogan walking <laughs> in. I still had skinny legs. I mean, I, I still had legs that looked like that. Uh, SNL skinny legs or SLN skinny leg syndrome. So uh, I, I literally uh, worked out so hard. And after a week, I'm like, I can't skate. I mean, I am slow. I am terrible. I'm like, 
<laughs> I can't do this. So I, I went to him, I dropped the weight, went to like 192 and felt much better. Now, if you look at my career stats, when I played in Buffalo, I had Rob Ray and Brad May. They, they, were, they were the tough guys. Now, would I fight Stu Grimson or Ty Domi? Yeah, I would, but I didn't have to fight them. And there's a big right. difference when you go to Pittsburgh or Tampa Bay and you're the only guy. Now you have to fight them. And there's a different mindset that goes on because when I played in Buffalo, I, I didn't worry about having to fight the toughest guy on the other team. I might have fought him during the game, but there's a different mindset of, of knowing you have to as opposed to having to fight him or willing to fight him. And I think that's, you know, I, I have to pay respect to Brad May, Rob Ray, and then in New York, I had good numbers. I had Steve McKenna, Christoph Olawa, Sandy McCarthy, Dale Pure, and I went to Colorado for, for a small period of time. We had Peter Worrell and Bob Bogner mm -hmm. and Jim Cummins. So when I had that protection around me, man, it was fun to fight guys 185 to 195 pounds. And now I felt like the heavyweight with these guys because <laughs> I was so used to fighting the guys 230, 240, 250. So Well, you know, it's funny. I... I... I kind of was the opposite. I, I did a lot of fighting when I, in junior and then in the WHA in my first, I don't know, three years in the NHL, because I wanted everybody to realize that I'm not going to be intimidated. And that's yeah. the, that's the reason I did it, right? And then Mike Nicola comes up to me and the one year he's coaching us and he says, you know, Rick, we can't have you fighting. We, can, we, we need you on the ice, not in the penalty box. But I still had a couple of hundred minutes in penalties anyway, so... <laughs> yeah, I, I remember. I remember Mess and, and Leachy one night in New York saying, "Hey, man, you, you can play this game. You don't have to fight every night. Yeah. Don't fight that guy." I can't remember who it was on the other team. I, it might have been like Eric Karens. He's like, "Don't fight him. Like, we need you on the ice." Like third shift in, I fight him. I get the shit kicked out of me, and I've never seen two guys so mad at me. And they're like, we, we know you're tough, man. Like, we, we know you're willing to do it. We just, we want you on your team. We also don't want you to get killed. We'd like to have a beer after the game with you. Like, don't be yeah. an idiot. <laughs> well, okay, just along those lines, Barney, you know, there, there, there comes a point, like, for me, the fans and the listeners, and we all look and you hear about the booing and the verbal shots and the cheap shots and, you know, maybe thinking, is this all really worth it? You used a wrestling term, and I think the term is the heel, the one who's always the bad guy in wrestling. <laughs> I mean, it does take strong, it takes real hard work and the strong character to, to endure that. Now, in your case, when you got to that point in your career, maybe even going back to junior, when you, was there a point, actually, is probably a better way to put it, where you crossed that line and you knew there's no turning back that I got to play like this forever? Yeah, it, it, honestly, it was, it, was, it was after the first two weeks in the Quebec League. It, it really was. I went from probably not making it to having fans, I was the only English-speaking guy in the team in, a, in predominantly, and when I say predominantly, 99% Quebec-speaking place in Quebec City back in the late 80s, 89 through 92. It was, it was French, French, French. And all of a sudden, you go from being a, a borderline guy to, to one of the most popular players on the team, if not the most popular player. And you see your jerseys in the stands. You see them <laughs> chanting your name. You're like, uh, the girls are liking me. I'm playing a lot. Uh there's a correlation. This is not going to change. Everyone likes to be admired. Everyone likes to be appreciated. So I found a recipe that worked for me for success. And I was never, ever going back. And I, I, I look back now, could I have had maybe 500 points and had a thousand less penalty minutes? Maybe. 
would would I have been as effective? Maybe I, I'm not sure. Would I had less headaches now? Absolutely, 100. <laughs> uh, percent But but I, I had a recipe. I felt appreciated. I, I I found a niche, and and it had a track record for working. And I was never going to let that go. That was always going to be the foundation. And going back to your point, uh, is there nights that it's really hard? Yeah, especially in the eras that we played in the 70s, 80s, mm. 90s. I mean, it was the wild, wild west back then, man. Like <laughs> playing the way that that I, that I did, and, and people did, and even even Rick being a scorer, you have a bullseye on you. You know, guys yeah. want to break his wrist so he can't score a goal. Guys want to break my face, and 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 you had to answer the bell. And if you didn't answer the bell, they didn't wait for the bell to, to even ring half the time. <laughs> they were coming off the top rope. They they didn't care. And the league didn't put a stop to it. So now, listen, I'd love to be Brad Marchand or I'd love to be Matthew Barnaby in today's age. I'd have to skate a little better to work on that. To be able to play and be a rat and fight four or five times a year and still get under people's skin and, and have the league protect you and not have super heavyweights coming after you, Oh man, this would be a dream come true to play in today's <laughs> NHL. So I think having that bullseye on your back every single day, like like Squid did as well, that was probably the hardest part. Squid? Yeah, it's funny I, I, when you mentioned uh, you had uh, psychologists and everything, and I, I'm thinking I'm going, wait a minute. No, Harold Ballard was our psychologist. You <laughs> 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 did whatever the hell he wanted you to do, and that was it. And uh, you didn't cross the line. You didn't try to go against him because Harold was Harold and he, he held the pen and the checkbook. And uh, if you went against them, you were out of there pretty quickly. My, my, my joke to my psych, uh, my psychologist on our Rangers, Dr. Kimberly, uh, she was awesome. She was with us for three years. And I, every time I'd meet with her, she's like, how are you feeling? And I'm like, oh, I'm good. I wish our team was doing a little better. I go, I go, doc, I'm just full disclosure here. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't need a psychologist. I need a psychiatrist. I, I need someone that can prescribe me something. <laughs> I have some tough days here. I need someone that can prescribe. You can't prescribe anything. <laughs> well, you know what? Now here's a question for both you guys. So, and Barney, I'll start with you. So playing the way you play and talking about the wild West in the seventies and eighties, how would you respond if somebody pulled a Michigan on your team? Wow. Yeah. It's funny because our, our, our kids play against each other in, in the East Coast League, uh, Viver's kid and, and yeah. my kid. And, and you see it a lot now in every single league. Um, I, 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 here's what I say. I'd rather, I'd rather in today's NHL or today's NHL someone do it in the NHL. I, I don't know if I'd like to do it in the East Coast League and have, hey, where's my coffee? <laughs> and, you know, as, as opposed to the East Coast League. Uh, because there's not as many cameras. And I'd say if someone did the, the Michigan against one of us, I mean, you're getting clothesline, man. It, 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 it would have been off the charts. Having said that, I absolutely love it. I love Trevor Zegras. I love seeing the kids. I, I, it's, not even, it's not even a cocky move anymore. It's actually the best play to score from behind the net. It's hard to take the puck from behind the net and, and, and do a wraparound, where as to pick it up, it takes half the amount of time. So it, where it was a cocky move, I don't even think it's a cocky move anymore. It's actually just part mm -hmm. of everyone's arsenal. And the, the skill that these guys have 
is, is just unparalleled and is just going to keep going to the next level. It's great. Yeah, it's unbelievable. And uh, well, first of all, I couldn't, I could never put my stick and pick the puck up behind the net or, or anywhere on the ice for that matter. Uh, so that wouldn't have worked for me, but I go back and I, I think about like Hextall and Billy Smith in goal and someone oh. trying to pull the Michigan on them. Like, I mean, it would be full on two hander, you know, across the arm or something and broken arm. Oh, well, I won't be doing any Michigans for a while. <laughs> two, two things. You used a stick that was 314 pounds. So, well, that's true. That, that, that two by four would have been tough. I look at old hockey cards when I come in and I, I'm using the Sherwood and, and the wood stick. And my, my son will always laugh. I'm using like the Bauer 100s that weighed like so much weight, especially when they got wet. But yeah, it might have happened once with Billy Smith, once with Ron Hextall. And I guarantee but, no one would have ever tried it again. That that move would have been would have been done. Yeah. Now, Barney, absolutely. you've always been known for being a good chirper and being stirring it up on the ice. Now, when attacking a player verbally, is there a code you live by that you wouldn't cross? You know what? I I, I crossed it. I crossed it. I think once. Now, my crossing the line is definitely different from <laughs> other people's crossing the line, right? We all we we all have a threshold that we that we live by. Yeah. So my gauge is definitely a lot different than 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 anyone else's uh one time in hershey i said something uh to dan cordick about john cordick um who had passed away and it's the only time i've ever ever apologized for for a chirp and it was wrong i was over the line and uh, he went fucking wild i mean he went wild uh you know i've i've told guys about banging their girls when they played junior um and they were true. Uh, and then sometimes I'd say it when it wasn't true, just to try to stir up a fight at home later or get their teammates <laughs> laughing at it on the ice. They were like, oh, did you? I'm like, no, not a chance. I don't even know the girl, but I saw her in the lobby with, like, his jersey on. I'm like, yeah, your, your wife's that blonde, eh? And I'm like, yeah, she was great, like, in junior or when you guys broke up or right before, like, just something. Or if a guy, a girl was from Buffalo when I knew her, like, I'd just throw it out there just to try to stir it up and get them – get get him pissed off but some of my favorite ones weren't like were with like ken hitchcock like going by the bench and he'd scream at me barnaby you're a fucking pussy you won't fight him you won't fight this and i'd be like hey. i'd grab the skin right underneath and and you know ken ken's a little heavier dude and i'd, I'd just start making the gobbling sounds but you know ken's looking out over the ice and it's loud and all his players are laughing and they're they're kind of got their heads down and i'd be like ken you got something on your chin, and he's looking. I'm like, nah, the the third one, the one way down here. <laughs> but my favorite line, and probably it doesn't go over the line, but probably like, I la I look at it now because I'm like, this guy was so nice, Kenny Johnson. He played for the New York Islanders, first rounder, great player. Didn't say shit with mm -hmm. a mouthful, and he came by our bench, and he had the worst acne. He had the acne with the white in it, like he had. He had the he had the zit poppers from that you could if he squeezes zit you're getting hit in the fourteenth row. And he came by our bench in, in in Long Island and I just remembered yelling, "Hey Kenny!" And he looked over and I go, "In North America, we eat the pizza. We don't sleep in it." And he just looked at me. He didn't do anything. He's like, "What an asshole!" Like, and I looked down. I go, "I don't know if I got him, but and my everyone's laughing on our bench. I'm like, I kind of feel like an asshole now." <laughs> 
Now, Barney, one story that you told us last time that I, we, Squid and I were howling about it after was, oh. and I didn't make the book, is when you were chirping a player in the playoffs about a girl and him and saying you were going to tell his wife. And, and all of a sudden, why don't you tell that story? Because I think that's just an absolute class. Yeah, yeah. That, was a, that was a gem. <laughs> it, it's because I got to know the guy after and I didn't want to use his name and I didn't think the story oh. was as funny. Like it, it's funny, but I, I, yeah. I, I didn't want to use the name and, and, and it might've just, but I, I like the guy a lot now, like a lot. He's one of my really good friends. He is divorced by the way. So it should have got him in, in the book, but I, he, he's got kids. So we're, we're, we're playing in, in Philadelphia. I, I can mention that. And we're, we're, you know, the whole the whole playoff long, I'm like, I know your girlfriend. I know your girlfriend. I'm gonna tell your wife after one of these games. I'm gonna tell your wife. And this guy's fucking rattled. Like this guy's rattled. His girlfriend was in Montreal, and he's rattled. And he's he's not doing anything to me. He's like fucking. Not that he's tough, but he's not. He's not saying. He's not saying anything. And after the after the playoff, we're shaking hands. He's like, how how did you know about this Jose? And I was like, ah, oh, I'm seeing her friend. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, that is. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, now, what, first sorry, of all, what are the chances that you know this because, you know, you're, you, you are with her friend? I mean, you know, what are the chances of that happening in the, in the National Hockey League? Like, that's pretty well, rare. In Montreal, it's it's not that rare. <laughs> well, that's true. It's one. Yeah, okay. <laughs> and, and, and any other any other city, but Montreal, it's not that rare. <laughs> now, what about okay, coming back at you? you. <laughs> hey, what about coming back at you? What are some of the best lines that had come back at you of players? And if somebody crossed the line with you, let's put it this way: Then did you go back at him and go harder? The, no one's like everyone's always yelled shit, but no one ever like. I never allowed myself. I always loved, I always loved the verbal confrontations because I knew it was my job. And and the people that were yelling back at me, it wasn't, it wasn't part of their arsenal. I knew it was getting them off their game if they're verbally chirping at me, especially some good players. If Lindros, I'm like, I got him. If he's if he's yelling at me the whole game, I, he's I got him. So you know, they're all gonna yell, you're a pussy, this and that, whatever. No one ever got me. Like I was like, ah. It, it, I loved it, and I, I, I just would go harder and harder. The only guy that got me was Chris Simon, and it was it was awesome, man. It was awesome because Chris is a tough guy, and I was yelling something nasty about his family and his mom and his and his sisters. I think you can imagine back in the era where where we're going, yeah. and literally he just looks at me. He's like, "How's your dad?" And I was like, "Oh, motherfucker." <laughs> you got me good i don't even have a response and we both went to the penalty box and i'm like fuck all he said was a few words and he and he got me i'm like now i'm like how does he know about this because there's no social media no one had written a book no i hadn't come out and done a memoir yet we had the same agent i remember calling my agent larry kelly after and i'm like did you tell him like like how the hell he goes, I swear I would never, ever, ever say anything like that. So I don't know how he got it. I never even asked him because we played together in uh, in New York. Great guy. But, man, he was the only he, – he, he stopped me. He stopped me cold. 
thought he cool. That was that was that was very well thought out. However, he found out. <laughs> I can applaud it. Very well done. So, so for the viewership out there that are going to read the book, what is something about Matthew Barnaby they're going to be surprised at when they read read your unfiltered? That I wrote a book. <laughs> that that's going to be the most surprising thing. Well, besides got, that, got my grade in eleven and a half, and I wrote a book. So that's that's. That's impressive. Well, you, you, got a, you got a half of grade eleven more than I do. <laughs> I think a lot of a lot of people in our areas are, are in that in that. I wasn't same far moment. behind either of you, by the way. Yeah, I I I I think when people read the book, I, I think there's it's funny. Uh, I think there's just a, there's stories that are so crazy. I, I think people hopefully can can just at the end, just think I'm a good guy. And, and that's kind of what I try to be is every day is, is, is a good person to the people around me, a, a good father, uh, that my kids mean more than me than, than anything in this world. And, um, as much as I love playing the game, I, I, I love my family as much as anything. And, you know, as a human, you, you make mistakes and it's how it's not, it's not how you get knocked down. It's how you get back up. And for, for, for maybe, People that didn't know my story, uh, listen, you can accomplish anything you want. It, it doesn't mean if you're the least talented person in the world, you're going to make the NHL. And that's, that's you have to be in the right place at the right time. But you can, you can accomplish a lot of things in life if you just really buckle down. And if you really put your mind to it, you, you can do it. And if it wasn't through the NHL, I, I, I know I would have done something else. And just because I... I, I love to prove people wrong, and, and a lot of people doubted me at a young age, and I still, at 49 years old, uh, one of my mottos is PPW, prove people wrong. And my wife's like, why don't you, like, prove yourself right? It doesn't always have to be proving people wrong. It can be prove yourself right. If you believe you can do something, fuck, just do it. Do it. But set your mind to it and work hard at it, because to accomplish anything in any realm the one constant has to be hard work. People will say it's lucky. And I used to say, man, I'm, I'm lucky that I got to play in, in the NHL for 14 years. Man, I'm, I'm lucky I, I, I have a good life. And I get to do alumni events. And people ask for your autograph. And, man, I wrote a book. I'm, I'm lucky. It's like, yeah, you're fortunate, but you're not lucky. Mm -hmm. you, you, you worked hard. And anyone that's had success at any level has worked really hard. So that's something I'm actually proud of and, and kind of the narrative that I have changed over the years. Yep, that's well said. So Bernie was, when when you're going through this process, was there any particular thing or two that you thought maybe I shouldn't put this in the book or, or, or was it just like, no, we're going to, you know, let everybody know everything? No, not, not a bit. It, it it's never you've you've heard me speak in public. Uh, it's it's just not there, there wasn't again. My object wasn't to ruin marriages or send people to prison, and uh, <laughs> we both have stories that probably could do both of those things. Uh, probably, but yeah, but yes, one one hundred percent unequivocally is probably the better way yeah. to to phrase that. Everything I, I'm transparent, you know. People, people in, in the book. I didn't like Dominic Kasich. Now he's the best goaltender that's ever played, in, in my opinion. I played with Dom. I, I played against uh, Broder. I, I played against Patrick Waugh, and, and I just I, I got to play with Dominic Kasich, and I saw what he did for seven years with our team. He turned a very average, hardworking team into a very good team, and it was because of our goaltending. We worked hard, but.
but without him, we don't do it. I didn't like him off the ice. I didn't like the person that he was when we played. I think he's a lot better now. I think he's got older and had time to reflect on the person that he was. And I, I, I hope in the, in, in the small meetings that I've had with him, but I even saw him a couple of weeks ago. I go, he's like Dom. And he's like, he picked up the book. He's like, am I in it? I go, Oh yeah, you're in it, bud. You're in it a lot. You're in it a lot. And then the one thing, and this is who I am as a person is at the Hall of Fame, his agent, Rich Winter, sent me a message asking if I'd like to attend the, the Hall of Fame ceremonies for Dom. And I just, my email back was very short. You know, I hate Dom, right? And that was, uh, I didn't go to the, the ceremonies. <laughs> well, another another guy you talk about, and I don't want to give too much away in the book because the stories are good. And you go into some good detail, Dominic. And I thought you were very fair with your comments, by the way. Tom Brasso, another goalie, another oddball. Uh, just, without giving away too much again, a couple of the stories on him. You guys got him one night on a prank on a bottle of wine. Yeah, yeah, we, uh, yeah. For, first, when I first got a trade there, I, I like shelved him. I got traded for Stu Barnes. And and Tommy's just, uh, he's a cocky American goalie. And he's a damn good one coming into the league. Uh, he was a Calder Trophy, came out of high school, went to Buffalo, first rounder. Man, was he good. Then he won cups with, with Pittsburgh, with Mario and Yager. And, you know, first time I come down, I, you know, one of the first days he, he comes in a different Ferrari every day. I'm like, hey, Tommy, what, what, what kind of Ferrari was that? He's like, kid, don't worry about it. You'll never be able to afford one. I'm like, yeah, you're probably right. <laughs> All right, just, just jump, jump, in, jump in my pickup. Here I go. Uh, but then one day I shoot the puck like over his over his shoulder. This is like two weeks into in, into the my tenor with, with, with the Penguins. And I start celebrating and hands up and everything, high five. And he comes storming out, like storming out uh, of the crease. And he's like yelling at me. This is practice. Like, what the hell is he doing? He's like, how many cups you win? I'm like, uh, none. He's like, that's right. How, how many, how many hard trophies you win? I'm like, uh, again, none. Uh, he's like, that's right. He goes, 66 and 68 are the only ones that shoot high on me. I'm like, Okay. <laughs> skate back in there. I look over at Yager. I'm like, is this guy from fucking real? Like, I'm not allowed to shoot high. He goes, yeah, he doesn't really like you shooting high. And he doesn't go down in practice. No. So you got to keep it like a foot off, off the ground. But yeah, what, what, one night we, we were on the road and Tommy, Tommy, Tommy pleats his jeans. Okay. He gets his jeans dry cleaned with a pleat in them with that, like every day folded. We're all hanging on there. They, they haven't been washed in two weeks. And uh, we get him. We get him with an expensive bottle. Uh, that that's a cheap bottle. And you know he's he's sifting it, he's smelling it. I'm like Tommy, how, how do you know it's the real? Because he's like, yeah, you can you you can just taste it. You can just taste it. And then we're like, we know it's like a eighteen dollar bottle. He thinks it's like a two hundred dollar bottle, but he's he's playing it up because he's the man, right? So he's playing it up. In the end, we were the ones with the last laugh because. <laughs> Now we know he's bullshitting us. He can't tell the difference between a $120 bottle of wine or, or an $18 bottle of wine. Funny, funny his name comes up because I remember uh, when I got to Buffalo, he had already been traded. And I heard so many goddamn stories about him. It was like, and, and exactly what you said. He was your typical cocky American. Yeah. And that's what everybody said. It was like, and but the stories I heard were, remarkable 
Um, Barney, I want to ask you a couple of things. We're getting close to our time here. And again, uh, you know, the, you know, a lot of this is uh, covered in the book, but just touch on some of the coaches that you played with, uh, Ted Nolan, uh, Muckler, um, you know, even Herb Brooks and Torts. Yeah, Mux, Mux gave me a chance, right? Old school and uh, demanded a lot, but he was fair. And, you know, again, different era. And you, you really, for a, for a young guy that wasn't a superstar, you know, it was really the superstars and, and then, then, then your role players. And you got to fall in line and you got to find a niche and just shut your mouth. And that's kind of, that's kind of that, that era. Uh, but I, I love Mux. I, I love Mux uh, as a coach. And then as a GM, you know, we had our battles and contract negotiations. God rest his soul. Just a, a, a great man, great hockey man, a lifer uh, in the game. Uh, then I went to Ted Nolan. Ted Nolan, you know, with, with Ted Nolan was kind of like my junior coach. He he gave me a role, found a role, made me an everyday NHLer, and appreciated my style. Appreciated I was willing to do anything uh, to to play in the the National Hockey League. And uh, you know, a lot of people say they are. Like I said, a lot of people say they're they're willing to do anything to to play in the NHL. And a lot of people, it's just words. Are, are you willing to do anything? Because that, that encompasses a lot along the way. And if you're truly willing to do anything, watch out. Because you, you might have a tough life doing it. And people just frankly are not. I know so many people that have more talent that should have played in the NHL. They wanted to do the role that I did. In fact, they didn't want to do that. Uh, but Teddy, Teddy was just a very honest, appreciated hard work and was always going to take hard work over talent. And if you had talent and hard work, man, did he love you then. <laughs> he, yeah. he really loved you, but he was. Well, uh, that was that was a style he played. Yeah, Teddy. I mean, you know, he he was a decent hockey player. I mean, he wasn't a bad player or anything, but he he embodied that hard work and do whatever you need to do to, to stay in the National Hockey League, and that's the way he played. And that's his upbringing, right? That's he came from yeah. a small family and, and tough upbringing. So, uh, without like we really encompassed embodied like like you said squid teddy's personality our team mm -hmm. embodied that and we had success uh then i go to i go to pittsburgh and i had kevin's constantine he's a douchebag uh, i cover that in the book bad uh great great x's and o's guy absolute douchebag of a guy um so that makes it a bad bad coach for me uh then it enters her brooks not a great NHL coach, miracle on ice. Um, yeah. He was, you know, I never knew anything about the 80s team. I was Canadian. We didn't send our NHLers, so I didn't I didn't care about the Olympics. It didn't mean anything to me. Uh, it, was, it was more about the Canada Cups then and, and all that kind mm -hmm. of stuff that came after 80 that I that I hung my hat on. So I didn't know a lot about Herb when I, when I crossed in, into there. Obviously, once I'd spent nine years in the National Hockey League, I'd heard about the 80s yeah. and Mike Ruzioni and that whole team um, and the movie, everything to go along with it. But Herb was just a great guy. He was more of a college coach, uh, but he was just a, a great human being. And I can appreciate that. He, he was never going to have a long tenor in, in the National Hockey League as a coach because that shit doesn't work in, in the NHL when you try to pull uh, with a miracle on ice, especially with the likes of Yaramir Yager and, and, and a lot of European players on our team. <laughs> He's going to be gone before they are. But as a person, God rest his soul as well, who's passed away, uh, just a tremendous, tremendous human being. And I'll, I'll end it with uh, John Tortorella, you asked. He's a great guy away from the rink. At the rink, 
he wears on you, man. He's he's just tough. And I'm not for everyone as a player. I might not be a, everyone as a person or a personality or the way that I play. He he. One thing I can say, he was very honest with me. I signed a three-year contract, and he came up to me as we were skating around one morning skate, and I was playing like six minutes a night. Of course, I'm not going to have success, and I'm fighting the heavyweight every single night. And he says, I, I just don't think you skate well enough to play in the NHL. I'm like, why the fuck did you guys just give me four and a half million dollars and you don't think I can play in the league? Like, are you guys fucking stupid? Uh, like, so stupid. So he's like, I'm like, do you, do you, is it okay if I go and ask for a trade? Because I, I want to play. Like, now I have the money. I, I have my contract, but I don't want to sit on the bench. I know it's Florida, but I, I'm a proud guy. I want to be part of, I want to win a Stanley Cup and I want to be a part of something. And he's like, yep. So I went up and I was traded probably a week later. I don't know the exact timeline on it. Went to New York. One of our first games, I score a goal uh, against Torts and come right by the bench and kind of give him the fuck you, the pumper nickel and <laughs> fuck you. And I had three of my best years uh, in New York uh, after they traded me. Now, they went on three years later to win a Stanley Cup. I'm just glad it wasn't like like that year. And then I would have been like, hey, he's probably right. I can't play in this fucking league. Great final thought. Hey, Squid. Oh, no. I, I, I love you when people bring up Torts because uh, – I had him in a completely different role. He was an assistant coach in Buffalo when I was yep. there. So, you know, the assistants aren't that vocal. They don't yep. say a whole lot. And Torch was pretty quiet. Uh, Rick Dudley was our coach, who was a fiery guy. <laughs> and Torch was kind of the guy that would settle everything down after Rick came in and, and tore things apart. Uh, and he did several times. Uh, but you know what? You're right about Torch. So away from the rink he's a wonderful person and he cares about people Yeah, and he does a lot of charity stuff. Uh, but those guys, their Brophy was the same way away from the ring. You know, Mike Keenan was the same way, but get him in the rink and they turn into a completely different individual. Torf Torts says himself, he likes dogs more than people. And Squid, I have a question for you. When the rants with duds, ever went like really wild did 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 the thing on top of his head ever like just get to the side or something did, did the did the meowing cat ever get off, off you know what we we never saw that uh happen and and it's probably a good goddamn thing we didn't because he would never have heard the, the end of it but but i can tell you one night in the yard he was going so crazy and he was banging on the glass behind the bench and you know the glass in the yard would just like bend over and the fans are, are running out of their seats or getting the hell out of there. <laughs> they didn't want to get killed. <laughs> oh, yeah. I know. He is wild. When he, he was our GM in Tampa when I first got there. I get to the rink. I'm always the first guy at the rink on any team. And I walk in. He's got the shirt off. And he's just, pow. Yeah. Bench pressing. And he's like, you want to get in a set? I'm like, ah, hell no. I lift about like a, a quarter of what you're lifting. And you're 30 years older than me, man. Not, not a chance. Well, Barney, I mean, uh, the time just flies by, and anybody listening, they can tell that the stories are just flowing. We've just basically scratched the surface on this book. It's unfiltered by Matthew Barnaby. Excellent read. Highly recommend. Great Christmas gift. Great read overall. Great job on it, Barney, and thanks for joining us today, and best of luck with the book. Thanks. I appreciate it. Yeah, you can Barney. go to Amazon. Jeffrey, Jeffrey Bezos, uh, my wife, uh, he comes daily to the to the door with something. 
So if you, if you need uh, Jeffrey Bezos, he will come through. Uh, so Amazon, anyone that wants to sign copy can literally just email me at uh, barnabymatthew at yahoo.com. And I can sign those and get them before Christmas. Indigo should have them uh, in all the stores and in the States. Barnes & Noble has them. Guys, I really appreciate it as well. And and promoting the book. It was a lot of fun to write. Always fun coming on with you guys. Keep up the, uh, the awesome job and have a, a safe holiday season. Great well, too. you Thanks, too, Barney, Thanks, and, and I got to say that, that uh, I loved reading it. Um, it's not easy to do. Uh, I did it, and there's things that are uncomfortable about talking about, but good for you that uh, that you went ahead and did that. That's that's fantastic. It's not as, as uncomfortable as masturbating with sandpaper, so we're all good. <laughs> <laughs> I never tried it, so I wouldn't know. <laughs> Don't do it. Hey, hey. You asked for a tip, there's your tip of the day. <laughs> okay. Thanks, Bernie. All right, Bernie. <laughs>